Welcome to the Toughness Podcast. I'm your host, Paddy Steinfort. And if you ever had a big dream that others thought was impossible, then you don't want to miss what's coming next. It's the third episode of our Hot Topic series where we take a deep dive into the main pillars of toughness. And today is all about having a North Star or what I call spiritual stability. And don't worry, it's not about religion spirituality. It's about what your heart and your spirit value most in life. And this is why elite performers can keep pushing forward when there's so many obstacles and plenty of excuses to quit or change. We're going to see that in today's excerpts. Consistency in who you are is how you come across the players. When you stand up there, can they tell if you're up, if you're down, you're the same guy every day. To me, it's really impactful for your team to see that you're the same guy every day, whether they've lost three in a row or won three in a row, you're bringing the same intensity, the same approach to that building that day. The Cardinals making the biggest splash so far of the NFL offseason, hiring 39-year-old Cliff Kingsbury. Here's the tweet. I never dreamed that I would play in the NBA. I just always had a feeling that they would have a women's professional league by the time I grew up. And this is Chastity Melvin. Chastity is a former WNBA All-Star. At first, you have to have a goal. You have to have a vision for what you want for your life, and that's in anything. So why isn't that the beast so damn tough? I was always persevered that there's never a point in time where somebody can tell me something that I don't know about myself. Starting off, if we think about staying on track when it's tough, then it's pretty easy to pivot to those who are trailblazers in what they set out to do. And there's no better way on this show to showcase this than listening to Jen Welter and Justine Siegel, two tough individuals who just happened to be the first women hired as coaches for professional sports. In 2015, Jen signed with the Arizona Cardinals in the NFL and Justine with the Oakland A's in Major League Baseball. You know, for me, the, the thing I want to say is, you know, I heard Justine say I knew that at 13. And I think I wish I'd have had the opportunity to play at 13. Football was one of the first places in the world that, you know, I learned boys and girls were allowed to do different things. And we weren't we weren't able to play then. Right. I didn't get to play football until I was 22 years old. And when I did, I just said, I will step up to every challenge the game puts in my way. And that's been kind of my career philosophy, because when you're when you're first, it's it's not like the logical goal setting mechanism of like, I want to be here and I'm going to work backwards. You know, everything we were doing as women in football was groundbreaking, right? Even playing um, was groundbreaking. And then as I was playing, they had the first U.S. national team. And I was like, I'm doing that, right? And then it was the guys who said, you know, you know, we want you to play. And so it was continually for me just going, all right, okay, this, this is what we got to do and figuring out how to do it. And I don't know if it's as much toughness as, as a lot of people would define it as much as it was believing that this was where I belonged in the world and saying, okay, how can I be great at each level? And, and what do I need to bring with me, right? Like I have people all the time ask me, how did you never quit? And I kind of think, well, on some days I might've quit like four or five times, but I also quit at quitting because I didn't really know what else to do, right? Because it's not just a job, right? This isn't a job that I'm showing up for, um, this is who I am and finding and creating and being in this space um, is, is a part of my identity. So I, I don't know if it fits in the same toughness as much as saying like, 
this is my, this is what I was put here to do and believing that I'm the one who's here to do it. And yeah, that means it is tough at times, um, especially getting tackled by guys that, that was a, that was a tough one. Um, but it's not just a, you know, show up and, and do it or don't do it. It's a, this is the place and the space that I'm supposed to be involved in and it's constant reinvention and it doesn't, doesn't look the same every day, right? Like yeah. I may not be in the NFL now. Does that mean you quit or you're not there? No, it's still a part of the journey, but the journey is like, is an evolution of yeah. being in sports and being a woman in football, right? Yeah, It's like a, a choose your own adventure almost where like there is no storyline. You kind of choose every time it says go to this page or that page and you have to be the first one to make that choice. It's a, uh, a fascinating nuance that I love. The f- Again, I love the fact that I've got two uh, sports psychs on here because it's a nuance of like not the traditional toughness where it's like grit your teeth and be strong or emotional endurance, but this is more like what I would refer to. And, and this came to me from a baseball player who was very uh, religious. He talked about the idea of being values driven and, and pushing with a deep purpose as spiritual stability. It's mm. like life will knock me around. This will happen. That will happen. I will quit. I'll get up the next morning. I'll just go again because I don't have a choice. This is who I am. And that was a really cool description from you uh, on that concept. I'm, I'm going to probably clip that and use it with some of my students. Definitely. Um, <laughs> Justine, how about you? What was, what, what would you say, what would you define as toughness along your journey? Either that you've experienced or you may have now seen others trying to carve the same journey as we said at the start of the show there are many more women in the game now what, what do you perceive as, as toughness for people who are trying to get through into areas they're not normally accepted no well I started as a kid and I didn't have anyone to talk to about it I didn't have anyone to look like me um you know through my journey I've been spit on thrown at told it's against God's way um just flat out said no like you know I had to be the first person everywhere I went I always had to be the first. Uh, and that wasn't my goal. That was simply just my reality. Um, so to me, being tough is about learning how to fail, learning how to be disappointed, have a dagger in your back, and yet the next day get up and still listen to another podcast so that you can be a better coach. You know, to like just keep working hard when everyone is telling you no. Mm. And you can't even see the light. You can only see this concept of a goal. And can you get there? And it's like, well, maybe I'll get there, <laughs> but I believe it. I believe it, but I can't guarantee it. Yeah. And yet every day you're working towards something you can't guarantee. And uh, just knowing people, you know, so many people being against you. I mean, I've been called so many things, whether it's online, whether it's in person, uh, sexual attacks type of, you know, verbiage online, stuff like that, but you just keep going. And I uh, don't feel like it's, I don't feel like it's my purpose to do it. I just simply never gave up. Yeah. You both mentioned there um, different types of pain involved in the journey. So Justine, you mentioned being stabbed in the back or having a knife in your back, being attacked verbally. And, and I, I literally can't, I can only imagine that because it, it can't happen to me because I'm a male and it's a little different in that sense. But also Jen, I can imagine being tackled by grown men who are professional footballers that are twice my size. Uh, that has happened to me and it's physically painful. And so both of you have experienced a mixture of both physical pain. Justine, you mentioned being hit by pitches. Jen, you also would have had your share of emotional pain along the way. And yet 
with pain and when it hurt, you still kept going. And so I'm curious to explore that element a little bit, particularly in light of what you said there, Justine, around there's no guarantee. Like I could do all this and it ends up with zero. I've put, gone through all this pain. I'm going to get hit again. I'm going to get called names again. And yet here I go with no guarantee. Either of you can grab that and run with it, but I'm really curious to, to hear and, and share potentially with the listeners some of your strategies for it hurts, but I'm still going to keep going. Well, yeah, let, I'm going to, sorry, I just get jumped in since uh, I, I was just talking about it. But for me, I would say that it was always a bigger picture. So if my head was going to keep hitting against the wall, trying to break through, it was to make the crack for the people behind me to get in. So as much as I was following my passion, what I wanted to do, I knew that I could build something bigger than myself. And so that motivation kept me going when days I didn't want to get out of bed. Uh, so a connection to a bigger purpose. Jen, how about you? Well, I mean, my, my book is called Play Big, which means playing for something bigger than yourself. So yeah. yes, absolutely. Um, but, you know, if you're playing for something bigger, then it means that it's not just the outcome, it's the destination, right? Like there's no way that I could do everything that I do every day and, and quote unquote, not get something in the end because there's not an end game. I've done more than anybody ever thought possible. And so everything I do is more than I ever imagined, right? And, and to me, that's the challenge. And that's also what makes it so exciting, right? How do we look at this place in this space that we are in the world? Like I'm a kid who loved puzzles, right? I like to connect the dots. I want to figure it out. Okay. So there's a barrier for resistance here. Why? Okay. Well, we haven't been socialized yet enough. So that means we don't just need them to have me. We need to have a bigger purpose, you know, conversation. Does that mean that we can shift the narrative in esports? Um, in a way that they could see maybe through Madden, something that doesn't yet exist in, in the real world, right? Like, could we, could we create that, what you need to see in a space that is theoretical, but also already has um, that psychological power. So to mm. me, every day has different challenges that don't, aren't just worth the sum total of some end game. They're worth everything that we do every day. That's what invigorates me. Now, I'm a guy who works in professional sports. And even though I had my share of moments where I had to stay locked on my values as a way to keep going in some tough times, I can't even imagine how hard it is for people like Jen and Justine. From being spat on and tackled to dealing with verbal abuse, they were able to not only persevere to achieve their own dreams, but they've paved the way for those who followed to an amazing example of being stable in their spirit. And speaking of paving the way, let's take this from the field to the runway. The fashion industry is also another arena that has a bad rap of segregating people and promoting certain stereotypes. But thanks to people like Broderick Hunter, modeling is becoming more and more inclusive. As a black teenager from Rancho Cucamonga who wanted to break into the fashion industry, Broderick dealt with a lot of rejections and doubts. And every gig or agency, it seemed, he tried to be a part of always replied with basically the same thing that you hear him share in this episode, where they would say to him, we already have someone that looks like you. It's definitely a hard and discouraging thing to hear, but luckily Broderick was a competitive kid who had strong values that kept him centered on what mattered most. And to him, that was being a world-class person that he is now. Imagine you're going somewhere where you're just trying to like look for a new opportunity. And they say, well, we already kind of have somebody that 
looks like you, talks like you, and is in your profession, uh, we don't find use of you here. I don't really think you'll find use of anywhere here. You should try somewhere else because that's another thing that I got. Oh, you don't, you won't find what you're looking for here in LA. You should probably go to South Africa. Mm -hmm. Or you should probably go down to this place. We don't want you here. That's how blunt it was. So for me being new in the industry and uh, understanding that, hey, I was in the gym getting my body right, getting the, looking the very best I possibly could. There was another component that I completely wasn't, uh, was not familiar with. And that was the mental battle of All having right. to block out the bullshit and having to block out these words and put love back into myself. Wow. That's like, that's an incredible, hard to imagine experience for anyone who hasn't faced it to that degree. And I, and I want to try and put some numbers or some like crystallize what you're talking about here, both from the, I want to, I want to, firstly, I want to bookmark tag the, let's come back to what it means to put love back into yourself. Okay? Yeah, yeah. I want to, if I forget it, tell me about it. But right now, while we're still on that, on that story and on that journey of, of discovery almost for you of like, that's actually what toughness means here. It's not just physically preparing, yeah. which we'll also put numbers on. But how many times were you rejected in that way where it was like, you know, I, I imagine that if I went and tried modeling and I would be unsuccessful, but there would be some responses where you're not what we're looking for, but not as specific mm -hmm. as you're mm -hmm. six foot six and white and we already have one of them. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, how many times estimate do, did you hear those words of, we already have a black guy. See you later. Over 30 in the beginning of my, cause I went into, I've sent emails to certain agencies and I, and I've sent emails, to certain managers and I've certain clients, you know, cause I, at that time I was freelancing before I got represented. So I was just reaching out as broader Connor to these people and uh, a large part of the responses were, oh, we're already using a black guy. Oh, we already have a black guy on our board. Oh, sorry, this isn't really your market. Uh, so yeah, I would say it was it was it was at least uh, at least thirty because you can imagine how many emails I sent. Of course, yeah, and, and this is thirty in the space of like how long? And these are and these are just responses. We're not even right. counting the these. We're not even counting the, the enough. They were polite enough to come back and tell you to your face something. So they were polite enough to come back and tell yeah. me that. They could have just said, oh, you know, thank you, but we're not interested. Right. But no, they had to give me the whole, <laughs> the whole spiel of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of that. And that was, I wish I had my old what's email this, address. What's this period? Of, yeah. <laughs> I wish I had my fascinating. old email What's Man, this period of time that we're talking about? Like 30, is, 30 times in how long? 30 times in a matter of eight to nine months. So this okay. has happened, and like you said, this is just the flat-out uh, race-based rejections mm -hmm. versus the other rejections and the non-replies, right? So mm -hmm. there's a tidal wave of no's. And at what point during all of this are you like, no, I'm going to keep doing this? Like how do, you, how do you stomach that and just keep going when you don't have to? You, I mean, the thing about it is, Patty, when I was in basketball, you know, there's a certain level of, of mental toughness that comes to playing sports, especially when you're not on a winning team or uh, not on a, uh, not in favor of winning a championship and stuff like that. There's always going to be critics that are going to tell you, yeah, this team isn't really equipped to handle these people or this team can't do this, or this player can't handle this player. And every single time when I stepped on a court, I was always out to prove anybody and everybody wrong. 
So going into my fashion career, I was always persevered that there's never a point in time where somebody can tell me something that I don't know about myself and that nobody could, nobody could tell me something that, that they think they, they see the potential in me or they see something in me that I don't see in myself. So somebody could tell me, Oh, you don't have a look, you can't do this. But I know within myself, I'm like, Oh, I think I got something here. I'm gonna, I'm just going to keep on, you know, just kind of, kind of figure it out because I was just trying to figure it out. I didn't have access to the right photographers yet, nor did I have access to agents and trying to, you know, I was still learning. So there was no reason for me to DQ myself so early if I knew that I was still in my, in, in my, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, premature stages yeah. of learning, of learning this industry. So once I figured it out, once I knew I was going to figure it out, I knew it was going to be a done deal. It was just a matter of time. And is there a moment where you say, once I knew I was going to figure it out, is there a moment you're like, screw you, James Smith, sending me that <laughs> one? Like, this is rejection number 29. Mm. I'm doubling down. Or was it just like gradually, you just like, no, I'm, I'm just sticking with it? I would say it was more gradually, but I really started to understand. I really started to know that I had something when I moved to Miami. To, I was based in Miami as a young model back then, and I did not book a single job. But I was out there working at Eight Ounce Burger and catering. It's no longer called Eight Ounce Burger now. If you've ever been to Miami back in 2010, you remember Eight Ounce Burger by, right by the Mondrian. I used to be a bar, uh, a bar um, back there, and I also used to be a busser and a waiter. And I was, I was, also, I was also a janitor. This is it's a whole story, bro. It's crazy. When I was living in Miami as a model, so I started seeing the models that were getting booked for certain things, and I was like, dang. I've, I know I not, not to say I had something better than them or I, I was better, but I knew I had something more to offer than what these guys were bringing to the table. So when I started seeing these guys getting on these castings and all these jobs, all I, I just knew that I was like, okay, when my time comes, I'm going to blow this out the water. All I need is one. And sure enough, uh, my one came when I started, when I, uh, I had shot for Vogue magazine with Bruce Weber and Bruce Weber at that time was one of the top photographers ever. He shot Tyson Beckford for Polo. He shot, uh, Abercrombie and Fitch, you name it back then. Bruce Weber was the absolute key to like getting, um, somewhere. And he said, yes, he's like, yo, I want him in Vogue. And I was like, okay, here's my moment. So I got my Vogue shot, uh, in Miami. One of my only things that I did that time and that, with that, it was it became more of a, a snowball effect into mm. a few other things. Still a little hiccups along the way, but it was a great cosign for me to say, okay, I know I have something and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with it. You're listening to Toughness, a podcast where some of the world's best performers from different fields share their personal stories about pressure, stress, and success. This series of interviews is a product of the Human Performance Think Tank, with thanks to the U.S. Army and Booz Allen Hamilton. Coming up later in the show. I really know who I am. All I do is I increase the probability that I will make a better decision under stress than I would if I didn't really know who I was. And if I do that, more productive. Those are great pieces of advice so far in the show from people who found their passion and fought for that. But what about if your gut tells you it's time to make a U-turn? that you've gone down one path and maybe your spirit needs to go elsewhere. Well, that's just what happened to our next guest, Joe Moglia. He's changed his path many times during life, whether that meant not working on his father's business so that he could go to college, 
or not using his college degree in economics and instead working as a football coach for the first 16 years out of college, to leaving all that behind and going to Wall Street, eventually becoming the CEO of TD Ameritrade, taking its market cap from $700 million to $12 billion, and then stepping back out of that and focusing on his coaching career again. Moglia has definitely had many different journeys, but the thing that's kept him centred amidst it all was having a deep knowledge of himself and what he values the most. I think becoming a father at a young age meant I had to absolutely take responsibility for myself and I had other responsibilities that I had to pay attention to. And I still had my whole life in front of me and I didn't know. It wasn't like I had a whole lot of experience. I grew up in a neighborhood and while it was very street savvy, it wasn't like I was particularly sophisticated. It wasn't like I had a wisdom of different cultures in terms of what goes on around the world. But I realized early on, I think about it in terms of, let's say, my daughter or my own life or my siblings, the people that I care about. But what is it you really care? What do we care about? What was the number one thing that we really care about as far as our loved ones go? Whether children, whoever they may be, our loved ones. And really, at the end of the day, you just want to be happy. They don't have to have the best job. They have the best job in the world. They're not happy. That doesn't make you feel good as a parent or as a loved one. So why is it people, what do we have to do to be happy? So when my dad's talking to me about going to the food store instead of going to college, is my going to the food store going to make me happy? If I'm happy, I think I can live up to my potential. If I'm not happy, I'm not going to live up to my potential. If I don't live up to my potential, how am I going to feel about that? So I have found over the years by digging into friends, players, et cetera, that I don't think most people really know who they are. A spiritual soundness can be religious in nature, but it doesn't have to be. And I think we tend to be a composite of the people around us. So who I am relative to my father may be different from my mother, different from my siblings, different from my brother versus sister, different from my girlfriend, different from my peers, different from my teachers, different from my coaches, different from other relatives, whoever it might be, because we all, all of us, no matter how bad you act, you want to please other people. You want other people to like you. You just want that. that that's a, that's a, no matter how negative you might be, you want that. You all want that. So we adjust a little bit. So therefore, when we make decisions, do we really make decisions because that's who we really are? Or in effect, we've been influenced by other factors. So spiritual soundness then to me means really, truly digging down deep. It's an examination of conscience. It's just about you. And one of the, I, I go through exercise with this and I try to teach my players and my colleagues, you know, that is worth doing something similar where I take a legal page, just start to write. You know, who am I really? What's my favorite colors? What's my favorite music? What makes me tick? What are my core skill sets? And I just keep writing. And then you take a break. Then you go back to what you wrote. And I bet you 70% of it, no, 25, 30% of it, you probably changed. You say, you know, I say I like that music. But I don't really like that music that much. I like it because my, my, my girlfriend likes that music. And you start to develop an understanding then of who you are. And there's only two things here that you got to know. First, I think you got to write it down. But secondly, you can never share it with anybody because the second you share it with anybody, you're subconsciously trying to look for them for their approval by definition. So no one can ever see this. You're doing it by yourself. So even as like, I I love the methodology here and I'm going to compare it to something in a second, but you're saying you've encouraged people, players, other coaches, you've guided people through this, right? So, but you would tell them not to share it with you. No, you can't share it with me. Now that you can ask me about the process like I'm working this, but not about what you're writing down there, not about who you are. That's got to come from you. And the whole point is for you to know yourself. Now, I think we increase the probability of happiness by making the right decisions under stress. The better you know who you, the example, I'm a father. 
Am I going to go to college? I'm going to work with a fruit store. I'm now I'm in college. Am I going to go to Wall Street? I'm going to coach. Those are critical decisions that, yeah. you, that, that are stressful decisions. Making the right decision under stress has an awful lot to do with whether or not you're going to, you're going to feel, be, you're going to be happy, whether or not you're making the right decision. So if I really know who I am, all I do is I increase the probability that I will make a better decision under stress than I would if I didn't really know who I was. And if I do that, then there's a good chance I'm going to feel better about myself. I'm going to feel more productive. And that ultimately is definitely going to lead to a sense of happiness, a sense of well-being in turn, with regard to who I am. I but love most of us. Most of us don't know that. Most of us don't yeah. don't get that. And I think really having the spiritual soundness concept down has been, been with me since I was probably 20 years old. And that leadership concept, taking responsibility for yourself, standing on two feet, treat others with respect, look the consequences of your actions. That's it. Those two things for me, but without question, my competitive advantage all my lifetime. Moglia couldn't be more right there. If you want to be a great leader, it's crucial that you know your values and what you stand for, because that's the thing that not only makes you unique, having something special to offer, but it also helps you see through tough times. And if we think of great leaders in the NFL, Cliff Kingsbury is one of the names that's going to pop out, especially for myself. I was fortunate enough to work with Cliff for a few years when he was the head coach of Texas Tech. But in order to move to bigger stages, such as the NFL, where he's now the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, Cliff found that the best fuel that he needed was actually coming back to the roots of his football career, his passion for the game, and the love that was installed in him by his parents. When I got into coaching, I mean, a guy who, um, I know you're familiar with, but Pete Carroll, just, just the energy, just the consistency in that approach. It's like the, the I mean, he's never had a bad day is how he comes across. And I think teammates, I mean, his team feels that, his coaches feel that, and he's going to have that type of juice each and every day, whether they've won five in a row or lost five in a row. And, and that, to me, is, is a strong, strong, um, you know, quality of a, a great leader. And he's done it with, you know, won a national championship at the college level, won a Super Bowl at the NFL level. And if, you know, having been in both, if you can do it in both, I mean, you're as good a coach as there is. And so he's a guy that, that I just have a tremendous amount of respect with the way he approaches that um, you know, hit building every time he walks in with high energy, you know, keeps guys going, you know, he, he just doesn't appear to have a bad day ever. It's kind of the same as you attacking your workouts every morning at 4am, right? It's, it's, you're a beast. Surely there are some days you get up and you don't feel like it. Like you're a right. human, even though you're a beast and you're a machine in that sense, you're also human. What do you do on the days where you're like, uh, today I just don't really feel like that guy. <laughs> you just you just go i think that <laughs> just show up you know i think that's there's that line that it's whatever 90 percent of life just showing up you just show up and and um and roll and, and it's you're not always going to feel 100 you're not always going to feel like leading or being in front of men i mean there's plenty of days i don't want to get in front of that team after a tough loss after a bad practice but but you, you do it and, and you get your mind right and you find a way to to make sure that you're convincing and, and can uplift, uplift others. And, and that's what leaders are asked to do. I don't know if I shared this line with you, but I definitely spoke about it with Pat a couple of times that life or the game doesn't give a shit how you feel. Right. And it's it's a common, like, yeah, I feel bad or I feel tired or I'm embarrassed, whatever it is. Well, life doesn't really care. The ref doesn't care. The crowd doesn't care. Uh, the game definitely doesn't care. And action trumps emotion every time. Yeah, consistency to me is, is so huge because if I stand up and one day I'm up with the team and the next day you're going to tell them down, it's just that that's not going to work. I mean, consistency in your approach, win, lose, or draw, we're going to show up, we're going to be about this, we're going to do this, we're going to handle our business. There's going to be times that you're going to need to jump on people and 
everybody understands that that's part of the deal but um consistently having a high energy you know being the same guy every day to me is very impactful for those guys Right. And that's, again, I was about to, I was about to call you out on that, but you, you clarified it at the end. Consistency in being who you are, not in necessarily what you're doing. Is that what you're saying? Because right. what if, like, what I'm doing is wrong? We're losing, right? right? Or right. this isn't working with that player. Like, being co- consistent to a fault is going to be a problem. Right. you got to be able to evolve and change, no doubt, and, and adjust. Not that, but I just consistency in who you are as, as – I mean, you, how you come across the players when you stand up there, can they tell if you're up, you're down, you're the same guy every day? To me, it's, it's really impactful for your team to see that you're the same guy every day, whether they've lost three in a row or won three in a row, you're bringing the same intensity, the same approach to that building that day. Yeah, we've touched on a few points of your journey over the course of the chat so far. Part of it was a short stint at the Patriots where you happen to get a Super Bowl ring. So congrats on that. As you, as you would say, you probably weren't as involved as you would have liked, but you still got a ring, more than 99.9% of the world. I assume that's a highlight, but what, if you look back over your journey, what, what's another point where you're like, that was actually where I feel like that's a highlight for me that I'm, I won't forget very often, and I also potentially learned or it added and evolved who I am. Starting in high school, when, when you're able to play for your, your dad, he's your head high school coach We're from a small town in Texas, and, and we had a really you know, good senior year there and kind of brought the community together. That was, was huge for us as a family. I mean, to, to, since you could walk, you were on a football field and to be a part of that in that town, um, that, that was really something that made me fall in love with the game to see how it can impact so many people. You are listening to Toughness. And if you're this far into the episode, there's a good chance you like the show. You can add to the conversation with the whole review, rate, subscribe, and share thing. If this helps just one person who needs to hear what our guests share to get them through today, it'll all be worth it. Stay tuned for more coming up, including... At first, you have to have a goal. You have to have a vision for what you want for your life, and that's in anything. And that's where toughness comes in to achieving that vision. It takes a lot of sacrifice. So damn tough! It's not only those people in that industry that deal with having constant change in their life. And that can be especially true if you're an immigrant. During our episode with comedian Ronnie Cheng, we talked about how having almost a nomadic lifestyle during his youth affected him personally initially, but eventually had a positive impact on him professionally. He was born in Malaysia, moved a lot between Singapore and the US. He attended college in Melbourne, Australia, and then Ronnie moved to America and learned how to flip the negative feeling of not belonging anywhere into a strength and an opportunity to know himself better, be clear on his values so that he could feel at home no matter where he was physically located. And eventually, Ronnie found himself comfortable no matter what situation he was in, whether it was the stage of a smoky comedy cellar in downtown New York City, or on the bright lights as now a regular part of Trevor Noah's Daily Show. A tough comedian would be someone who genuinely can take the punches and, and keep going and that's such a hacky thing to say i think it's from rocky or something but like <laughs> but i think a lot of people especially now i think that it's very easy to say i don't care what anyone thinks i don't care what people think on social media and i i think a lot of people actually do care you know what i mean and i think that's their way of dealing with it but if you're very honest with yourself you go look this stuff does affect me and if you're honest with yourself that it does affect you instead of being that you know that I, I feel like 90% of humans now, they're like, I don't care what anyone says on, on 
Twitter or Facebook, and then they're the ones who are on Facebook and Twitter getting into arguments. <laughs> so, so meaning like you genuinely don't care, not, not, not just for show, but like you can take that criticism and you can, um, you can not let it affect you to a point where you can't perform, right? I, I think someone told me, some, a, a sound guy at the comedy store, Phil, the comedy store in Sydney, he gave me the best advice once when I was, he wasn't even a comedian. He, he told, he was a musician and he told me like, when I was starting out, he said like being professional is, is knowing you had a bad gig and not being emotionally affected by it. Right. Cause once you start beating yourself up too much over it. And I think with comics it's very easy to get into your own head with having a bad gig. Um, once that happens, that's when that's like, you can't, improve it it impedes performance right so you got the way you use the way you take bag shows and actually make use them to make yourself better is you can't let yourself get emotionally affected by a bad gig you know um which again that's a skill right that's a skill you build it's easier said than done very easy to say don't don't worry about these people don't don't worry about this show right that's, right, easy, right. that's very easy to say but to actually do it that's a skill you mentioned two types of adaptability there that, that i think are really important and particularly for some of the people who listen who might be forced to move for their jobs, whether it's their jobs or whether their parents are moving or their family's moving, yeah. is the, the adapting to different circumstances. So like, all right, I'm in a new country and how am I going to get along here? And you you moved to New York City, I've moved to New York City. That's a whole experience in itself, right? Just trying yeah. to, where's the shit apartments? Which yeah. landlords are going to screw me? How like, do I write up? a check? Who the hell, <laughs> exactly. you, who the who hell uses, uses paper checks? checks? It's ridiculous. New York City. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so there's all these things that you adapt to from a yeah. logistical point of view, but the initial impulse, and this is a great point that you made, is that it doesn't necessarily happen just from moving. When you go to a new high school or when you go to your first college class, like some people adapt by changing their personality. What you've described a second ago, I heard anyway, was you learn not to adapt yourself you just worked out that this is who I am and I'm going to be this and yeah, everything and, else and, will work and, out. Yeah, be yourself and, and, and um, obviously adapt yourself to the situation, yeah, but not, uh, not change. You don't have to change who you are intrinsically, if that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, particularly relevant to army personnel and their families and et cetera who all have to travel and change cities every two years. It's, uh, it's brutal for some of those people. Here, here's how I look at it. I know I just sound very negative about Australia right then, about, you know, I don't have to change. for, And I never felt the need to assimilate, you know, have an Australian accent or whatever. But the honest truth is if you ask me where I feel at home, I feel at home everywhere. I, I really feel at home in Australia. I feel at home in Singapore. I feel at home in Melbourne. I feel at home in New York City. So the, the kind of fuck you attitude I was describing before doesn't come at the expense of actually getting to know the place you're in and loving it and finding the joy in the local stuff and not just, you know, moving to Australia and just eating Singaporean food or, you know, like actually loving Australian meat pies and watching <laughs> AFL and, go, but just not feeling the need to uh, like change the way I talk or how I think or whatever. So, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying for people who are moving around a lot, I would say there is a lot of, it is, you can get a lot out of, um, in, ingraining yourself into that local country, you know, it, it make it actually a part of you as opposed to being like, you know, screw this place. I am who I am. I'm American. I'm Australian. I don't want to be Lebanese. You know, I don't care, but I'm stationed in Beirut. So, but you know, there's something really cool when you meet people, isn't that the coolest part when they're, that's why I was trying to connect to you. Cause you didn't expect me to be Australian, but I, uh -huh. I know a lot about Australia cause I freaking came up here. So 
And and I when I was when I was trying to connect with you about Australia, it was coming from a lot of love. You know, it was like, yeah, man, the uh, you know, I'm I'm I lived in Carlton for ten years. I support the Carlton Blues, like whatever it is. You know, so what I'm saying is that you can be yourself, but also um, there's a lot to be gained from knowing uh the country that you are based in as well when you move you know like finding the, yeah, the yeah. joys in that country and and it, it carries with you it, it, it carries with you wherever you go even if you don't see it then when i moved i hated it you know but when i when i left i was like man there was it there was so much from there that i carry with me you know the food the the knowledge of the cuisine the when i meet other people from there you connect with them you know and so yeah i, I would say don't you know don't it's a very nuanced point but i wasn't trying to say you know screw the place be yourself i was i was trying to say you don't have to change yourself to enjoy you know to be at home in a in any location to bring this episode full circle we're going to go back to women in sports after years of training and enduring naysayers telling her that she had a one percent chance to make a living as a professional female basketballer chastity melvin finally managed to sign within the american basketball league and was pumped to finally put in the work as a pro athlete Little did she know that what at first seemed like a smooth ride and her dream come true would eventually put her in one of the toughest moments of her life. The ABL lost territory to the WNBA, declared bankruptcy and suspended operations, leaving several women, such as Chastity, empty-handed. She had an entire year of uncertainty ahead of her and the only thing that kept her going was a strong belief that she had something to offer to the game. I never dreamt that I would play in the NBA. I just always had a feeling that they would have a women's professional league by the time I grew up. So yeah. I was 11 at the time and I just kept telling, you know, like, well, they will when I finally, you know, get to that point. I just never let go of that dream. Maybe because I was from a small town and I was super naive, but it's just, I don't know, you know, like if you, I mean, not trying to have, you know, compare myself to big time celebrities, but if you ever talk, talk to them and hear their stories they were just kind of ha- they had a knack for believing in something they really couldn't see and just kind of sticking right. to it and so right. that was my thing you know I just it was always in the back of my mind it was I laid at, up at night dreaming about it so it was just my thing and yeah you know, fortunately it's, for me, it's it funny when we, yeah but when we have uh well this is a question we ask all the guests I'm going to jump straight to it for you because you've kind of touched on one of the semi-common answers there and the question is, what? how do you define toughness? So you've had a career across, obviously, a super successful, one of the greatest of all time in your college career, uh, a, a decade plus in the WNBA. You're now coaching at the highest level. You've seen a lot. Um, and I'm curious if that's what you would describe as toughness in the ability to see something that doesn't exist yet Is that and hang on to it and persist, even though there's no reason why that should come to be. Or is it something else to you? No, I do think toughness starts with being a visionary, you know, because at at first you have to have a goal. You have to have a vision for what you want for your life. And that's in anything. Um, But obviously there's different traits to, um, and that's where toughness comes in to achieving that vision. And, you know, it takes a lot of sacrifice. It takes a lot of confidence. It takes a lot of perseverance. It takes uh, being adaptable, being flexible. Um, and it, you know, it takes the discipline, discipline to do the things you don't want to do in order to have what you want. It takes the discipline to say no to the things that would make you less than your best. So that's what toughness is to me. But you know, um, to be tough, you you have to be have a sense of mental toughness, physical physical toughness to 
reach that vision. Yeah, that's cool. I I, uh, I remember I'm remembering as you described that my own backyard battles with my younger sister, who also had a, her eyes on being a professional athlete, but for her it moved on to different things and and we used to talk about the nba and whether she could play in the nba right and right. did you did you watch the nba with that in mind like were you thinking you were going to play against those guys or what was the dream i graduated from college you know it's tough as an athlete to actually do that in four years without any hiccups or just setbacks and i had a fabulous career went to the final four my senior year i get drafted i reach my dream I go into the first professional women's league and that was called the ABL, but it folded three months later. So here I am, I'm 20, 21. I achieved my dream. I'm telling everybody I'm playing pro, everyone's hype. And then the league just shuts down right before Christmas. So my right. favorite holiday. Wow. So, I mean, I, this is great. I didn't see this one coming. You, you've gone from, and, and it wasn't just like, you kind of brushed over your college career there. You turn up, you said a small fish with sharks. I assume you were recruited to some degree, like you turn out to be a pretty handy player. So you go in there, you have one of the greatest college careers of all time, definitely at NC State, you're, you're, which ends up with you in the Hall of Fame. So you, you're a superstar at this school. Then yeah. you get drafted in the first round, 11th yeah. pick, I think. So, so, well, no, actually, just... so I got drafted to the first professional league and a lot of people kind of, the WNBA has taken over, so they don't know that there was an ABL Okay. ABL was the first professional league. It was going on. And then the WNBA started two years later. So two years was, was the, was this like purgatory? Like how did, what, what happened to fill that time? This what is not on to, your, on your, on the bio that I was fed. What happened I in know. that two years? Well, I was a senior in college and they had already had a successful season. And so when I graduated, I was, I, I, the WNBA had just started that previous year um and so I had a choice of either entering my name into the ABL draft or the WNBA draft and I chose the ABL and everyone mm. had a fit so I already I, I mean but for me the ABL had all the players that I followed and they and they played you around and so for me they had the best basketball players at the time Don Staley was playing in the ABL Teresa Edwards like all of the greats and Donovan was coaching. So I knew my history. And so that's where I wanted to be. And they were the first, they were the ones that said, Hey, we're going to try to have a professional women's team. So I'm, I was kind of loyal to that whole philosophy. Like, Hey, they really cared about us. And then it's kind of like right. the WNBA came and was like, the NBA was like, Oh, you know, no, we're the powerhouse. <laughs> oh, look what they're doing. We can make money <laughs> <Yeah>. there too. <laughs> right. Right. So for me, um, I got drafted and then it folded. So it folded three months later. All right. And, and so you had like, to sit for two weeks, for two years. Sorry. What did you do? To fill I had to time? sit for a year. I had to sit for a year. Mm -hmm. And um, that was probably the men most mentally tough thing I had been through since. I mean, yeah, that to was that the point. first. To that point, that was the hardest thing that I probably ever had to go through. Um, just mentally, um, because you achieve your dream and then you lose it. And on top of that, you just don't know where the way everything ended. Like we were practicing with our team and then they just shut everything down. Like there was no meeting. There was no, it was just, they told the coach. That. And the uncertainty of what's coming next. Like it yeah. sounds like you went through the COVID shutdown before everyone went through the COVID shutdown. You, you did yeah. it 20 years ago. 
<laughs> I did it 20 years ago. I had everything just shut down and it's just such a painful feeling. And then I was such mm. a young person to have to deal with that was, and then people just asking questions. So unfortunately uh, for me, I, I had a great support system with my family. Um, during that time, another rookie that had played with me actually ended up committing suicide after that happened. Now, I don't know about you, but I definitely feel refreshed after hearing how a bunch of our guests used doubts, fears, and sometimes even a little bit of anger or hate as a fuel to achieve their dreams. Just because they were so clear about what they wanted and who they really were, that they became unstoppable. Now, you might not be a pro athlete and you probably don't want to be a trailblazer like some of our guests, but there are plenty of good opportunities that may be in front of you that you may not have seen as clearly as possible because you're unsure of something. Or maybe you value other people's opinions more than your own. It might be worth taking some time on your own to really dig in and find the things that matter the most. Because as you've heard from our guests today, that will often be your reminder, your north star and your compass to help you follow your gut and keep moving forward even when times are tough. We'll see you all next week for our next special Hot Topic episode. But for now, stay tough. So what is it got to be so damn yeah. uh, Excellent, bustin' with the best of them. Simply impressive, no worry and stressin' uh, I'm getting my right now. Put your shades on and let me show you